0: 2 Corinthians 10, verse three to five. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Thank you. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, as we open up your word, we're asking for help. We need revelation, we need our minds to be opened up, our hearts to be opened up. We know it's your words, the truth, um, it sounds a little bit difficult to understand, so we really need your help, so Lord, Holy Spirit, would you have your way with us tonight, in Jesus' name, Amen. I had uh, put in the, the preaching calendar a different passage, and uh, but when I wrote it down, I wrote down the wrong verses. And so I prepared this message that happened to be this message. I went, oh, that's not the right message. And you know, I sort of prepared the message. And then I realised that it was God who made us come to this passage because this is a word for our church. And you might get a slightly toned down version in the morning church, God, because maybe, maybe the message was a little bit more for the morning. Um, it wasn't recorded, so it uh, goes out into the ether. But I actually really believe um, there's a spiritual message stronghold in our church that we need to pray through and work through and live through. And uh, I think it comes out as we look at this passage. The Corinthian church is a problematic church. Have you picked that up? They've got Problems. They were located in southern Greece. It's a beautiful part of the world, south of Greece, very close to the Mediterranean coastline. Um, There was a temple right above, high above, on like a mountain, um, but not too far away from the city, uh, called To the Goddess Aphrodite. Who was who? Goddess of love. Goddess of love, pleasure. Apparently, in the first century, when the Apostle Paul was there, this temple had been sort of shut down. But there were still around a 1,000 temple prostitutes at Corinth. Um, Archaeologists have dug up 33 wine shops in Corinth. Corinth is not that big. There's about five other temples to Roman and Greek gods. So the place was pretty messed up. To be called a Corinthian girl was not a compliment. A Corinthian girl. And of course, neither would it be virtuous to frequent Corinth for the purpose of sinning. But interestingly, what we've been reading about over these past couple of months as we've studied 2 Corinthians is actually more so Paul dealing with some powerful people in the church who are constantly undermining. I don't know if you've had a chance to read 2 Corinthians, but as I've read it multiple times, I'm just struck by, wow, these legalistic, undermining religious people like the Pharisees did to Jesus, they will not leave you alone. (laughs) They are just constantly undermining his authority and his eligibility to teach them about how to live for Jesus. So it's funny, it would seem that you can be living in a space in history and in geography on this planet where there are proper demon gods all around. Gods of pleasure, lust, sea god, Poseidon was one of them, war gods, they're all there. Yet the biggest problem Paul deals with is somebody spreading discord among the brethren. Stop and just take that in. Like there are genuine, demonic beings causing havoc. But the thing that Paul is having to deal with more than anything are the people undermining his ministry. And I guess this is what we read. If you look back um, in Proverbs 6, I think I've got it there. Um, Proverbs 6, verse 16 in the Old Testament. It says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable. So, our ears should prick up. Like, really? Does God hate stuff? Yeah, six things he hates, and a seventh that he really detests. It's like it gets up his nose. He can't stand it. So, what are the seven? Um, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and then, drum roll a person who stirs up conflict among the community. They're just a stirrer. They're a gossiper, they're a slanderer. They're they're a person who just (coughs) defames others. Hey, what's the big problem? God looks at that and he says that stinks in my nostrils because that wrecks my church, that wrecks my people. Um, So if you are a person who is bent on stirring conflict in the community of faith, God doesn't like that. I think we can all fall into that if we're not careful. It's, it's where bitterness will take us, offence will take us to that place. If you're not um, careful with uh, what you do with your lips, your tongue, your talking, you can be used by, God, by not God, the evil one, to stir up conflict in the community. And this is what Paul is dealing with. It's a big issue for him. So I want to jump to verse 3. Paul says... For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, sometimes in church, in Christianity, we love to grab stuff like that and just go, oh, wow, he's talking about really fancy spiritual stuff. But if you put it in the context of this chapter, what's he talking about in verse 1 and 2? He's talking about internal conflict that's going on. Something that seems quite normal. He's not referring to fighting with swords, but he's talking about the battle he's having to lead, to bring any authority from the Lord, from the truth of God's word, into the context of a bunch of people. He says, We don't wage war as the world does, but the weapons we use can demolish strongholds. So there's. There's this unrest in this Corinthian church. And Paul says, there's strongholds. Now, if you look up the word, it means a heavily fortified base. No surprises there. <laughs> That's what you'd sort of think, isn't it? If it's a stronghold, it's like a fortress. Again, let me read verse 4 and then 5. The weapons, Paul says, we find, with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Isn't it sort of weird? Like he's talking about strongholds. Oh, what's that? Well, they're like arguments. They're thoughts, they're strongholds of belief in people and communities. And they set themselves up against the knowledge of God. And he says, we take captive these things. We take, e- take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So, just trying to do some comprehension in this text. Is it fair to say these strongholds are at least in people's minds? Does that make sense? Is that like... And because they're affecting minds, they're affecting whole lives. Because this affects this. Um, But I think we can also assume that these strongholds are also spiritual. Come. So it's belief patterns here that affecting lives. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, and this is Paul writing, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So strongholds are in the mind and they can also attract powers, spiritual powers, literal beings that have like callings, fallen angels that have sort of a bent, that they bring carnage in a certain direction like pride or lust. It seems to be spirits that have assignments. And so there can be strongholds that are both in the mind and also they become spiritual and they're strongholds because they've been there for a long time. You don't, you don't just set up a stronghold like a pop up shop that well, do you? It tends to be there over time. So I'm thinking to myself, as you would be, because it's not actually easy to write sermons about stuff like this. Say, so like, what on earth are you talking about? Like, what are the strongholds? And so I'm reflecting on 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And these are three things that I think he, Paul, has been dealing with, and I I think we've got the three here. Super slick, that one. Yeah. Um, So number one, I would say, he's dealing with a stronghold that we could call super slick. And you see this in the 1st and 2nd Corinthians, these two letters, that Paul is constantly battling people who want to make comparisons of his style of oratory, his ability to lead, with the super apostles, the slick ones, the ones that have it all together. Because you may not realize this, but in the first century, if you travel around Turkey, Greece, um, Jordan, Israel, there are amphitheaters everywhere. Anyone got to do that? Uh, not, not many of us, but um, there's amphitheaters everywhere. Even in Petra, you know, um, Indiana Jones, typical of type stuff? Not many, people. some of um, Petra is this crazy old place, and I remember going there in Jordan and you're wandering past the the El Treasury, which was Indiana Jones there. You keep walking, you have seven k's into this um, cavernous space in Jordan, you come out, and there's a, I think a 20,000 seat auditorium, amphitheater. And I am just like, what are they doing there? You know what they're doing? They're listening to people speak. They love it. They love oratory. They love grabbing minds and and beliefs. We think that they're primitive, but come on, let's face it, 200 years before you've got Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates, like some of the brainiest people ever in Greece. So super slick is like, I guess these days, the smiling preacher, the American evangelist, the super slick. Like that can be a stronghold if it takes a hold of your belief system. That everything's about the external. I don't think that's us. Though we're pretty beautiful. We are the beautiful people, I know. But I don't think that's so much us. We came from a place called the Shire. And the Sutherland Shire is known for that, isn't it? Yes? Like it's sort of known for flash on the outside. And I think um, Churchill's part of wasn't like that. But it can be a bit like that. And it's a proud stronghold. So Paul contrasts that um, and says in 2 Corinthians, there's power in what? Weakness. So compared to, hey, you've got to be healthy, wealthy, and perfect, good-looking, um, rich, he's like, the gospel I know, that the leader gets killed. And so if you read 2 Corinthians, in contrast to that stronghold, Of super slick oratory training letters after your name Paul is like I've been beaten up heaps I suffered heaps for Christ and um, and I think this success driven competitive paradigm can be a stronghold that'll wreck you I don't don't know if that's ours as a church if you think what's affected us over a good number of decades out of 114 plus years the second one I think you find in this second Corinthians is the super strict Stronghold. <clears throat> chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, Paul's fearful that the Corinthians will be too harsh in their discipline of one of their members. So someone really messed up and um, they, they disciplined him and Paul's like, don't go too far. Like, don't just keep putting the, the knee in. Give him grace. This is the same group of people that he wrote that classic line in chapter 3. The letter of the law does what? The letter kills the spirit gives life so he's saying to this group if you're just passionate about rules and just enforcing the law that's gonna kill people the spirit brings life legalism is always lethal to God's people who was it that Jesus like really could not tolerate. The Pharisees. the Pharisees. Somebody who could get to the point in their life, in their formation, in their journey of, of living, <coughs> that you could watch a guy pull at the pool of Bethesda, he's been there for 38 years trying to get healed and he can't get healed, and then he finally walks. The, the guy that hasn't walked for 38 years, and in the first thing in your head and heart is, You filthy animal, why are you walking and who healed you? It was the Sabbath. Like that makes you want to cry, doesn't it? Like how a human being can become so inhuman. That's the spirit of the religious Pharisee. That's the religious spirit. It's mean. It's mean. It, you watch it manifest and you think, you can't really be serious that you could treat another human being like that. It's like, you broke the rules. And I am righteous. And everyone else is like, but it's what the legalist does. It lacks grace, loves rules over relationships, and when you see it in full flight, it's breathtaking in the worst possible way. And it's alive and well in the 21st century, and it's a heavily fortified fortress, and if there's something we've got to deal with as a church, that's the one, I believe. That's the one. And uh, over the years... uh, like. As I was preparing this, I felt the Lord just really putting a burden on my heart. It was like, there is a spirit of religiosity here. There's a spirit of legalism. And I started, I've only been here 200 years, but I started reflecting on all these things that I've seen um, all the way back. And I'm like, wow, there, there's like a spirit that manifests, it's quiet, but it manifests itself along the way and causes carnage. It just grabs people and beats them up. And it's manifested in this church, I think, honestly, against any pastor who wants to show leadership. Any pastor who puts their head up and shows leadership, it's like people, certain people, are faceless often, but they will just sort of gather together and try to take you out as a pastor. Now, that can sound like, oh, so what are you saying? Um, you're using the pulpit to try to demand authority and all the rest. I would say, I'm the senior pastor of the church. You gave me authority in Jesus' name. And I should be accountable to the church as I'm accountable to Jesus, as every leader should be accountable. Amen? Amen. Well, if you don't have leadership with authority, but with responsibility and accountability, you've got a rabble, you have a vacuum of leadership, and if you don't give leadership to someone, someone's going to take it. You know who takes it? The demon, the spirit takes—not the, the Holy Spirit—but something that's there will, will raise up someone who's backslidden and bitter, and go, "I'm going to use you to cause trouble, to make it hard for anyone to lead." The, the other thing I think you pick up in Second Corinthians is the super slack. Anything goes. Anything goes. And by the way, we all have to be careful of that—that that stronghold of the super strict, of just getting rulesy and and um, losing grace. But the super slack is the heart of Co- Corinthian spirituality. Pleasure wins, debauchery wins, worldliness wins. Paul talks about this in chapter 6, where he says, don't be yoked with unbelievers, don't mix worldliness with godliness. That's in Second Corinthians. He's talking about cutting corners on virtue. Virtue, that old-fashioned name for character. For, for for being consistent on the outside and on the inside uh, of obeying when no one's watching that's virtue um, we live in a world that wants to say cut corners cut corners cut corners and if you're not careful you will take that on and the spirit of that says go as close as you can draw the line as close as you can to immorality and let it be blurry between morality and immorality. Just get as close as the edge to the edge as you can. It's that stronghold, I think, of the super slack. Um, <clears throat> so you've got super slick, look good on the outside, but really fleshy and flashy. Super strict looks, looks holy, but it's all about judgment, pride, strict, harsh. And the super slack flirts with fire, plays with sin. So, Paul suggests that he knows how to demolish strongholds. And they're just general, but we've got other strongholds in our lives. Maybe it's some of those, but we have other ones. Paul gives us his great good news. He says, we know a way to demolish these things. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Strongholds in our belief systems have been there for a long time. long time. For us, some of us are much younger than others, but they're still been there for a long time. They're already there. <clears throat> you young guys, you've got some strongholds that are already there that want to give you grief when you're 40. If you don't work out how to deal with them. My grandfather, um, he died about 87. When he was 87, so it was quite a few years ago. But I remember when he was about 79 or 80, we got chatting about his siblings, and um, lived in Queensland, my dad's dad, and and he said he said he had a sister, and I said, oh, I've never seen, you. Oh, I've heard about your sister. And he said, oh, I I I I don't have any contact with my sister. Um, I haven't spoken to her for 60 years, and he's 80. I said, oh, what happened? He said, my sister spread a rumour that I had struck my mother. And I never forgave her. And, and, you know, when I'm working through stuff in my life, I remember that because there's part of me that wants to be just like my grandpa. I want to write people off. Really harsh. I just write them off. And I have in my life. So it's one of my struggles. I, I, I don't want to be that man. It lacks grace, but it's a stronghold, <coughs> it's sort of there. And I saw it a bit in my dad in a passive aggressive way, and it's just it hangs around. I try to pray that it would be my kids. This, um, this thing because these, these strongholds can hang around your family, they really can. Um, when I think of breaking strongholds, I just go naturally in understanding the word of God to John 8. John 8.31 How do you break a stronghold that's in your mind? You can't do with anything but truth. Truth. John 8.31, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciple, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, it's a bit weird because we become a Christian when we believe that God sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life that I could never live, to die for me, shed his blood for the world. On the cross, rise again from the dead, defeating um, the devil and and sin and, and the judgment. He took the judgment, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, sent his Holy Spirit. When we believe that, we are born again. In a way, we are set free once and for all to live forever. But then we sin the next day, don't we? So there's this weird semantics in Christianity. It's like, I sinned today and I have sinned today, but I thought I was free from sin. So this idea of freedom, we receive by faith, a gift, by faith in Christ and all that he did. Yet our life is a process of appropriating that freedom so I actually can live in it and enjoy that freedom. Amen? That's, those of us who are Christians, that's what we're struggling with, trying to work out, so how do I get that stuff? Well, Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. John 8:36 says, "If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed." And in the same chapter, John 8:44, he says this about Satan. This is Jesus talking, the smartest guy who ever lived. He's watched everything for all eternity. He says, "He, Satan, was a murderer from the beginning." not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. This idea of strongholds is about the truth and lies. And where we find the truth, and where we find the lies, and it can be hard. The weapon that demolishes strongholds is truth. What sort of truth? Let me give you a list. The truth of the Gospel. What I just said before. The truth of God's Word. The truth about our identity in Christ. The truth about our future in Christ. The truth about our position in Christ by His grace. The truth about that event that has affected you. something happened in your life? Because most of us have various events that shape how we view ourselves. That event needs truth to come flooding in. The primary place for strongholds to exist is here in our minds. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, Paul writes this, I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds... May somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. There's a battle going on for our minds. So, what is it in your mind that you need to be aware of? And maybe, where is this stronghold? Well, okay, indulge me a bit to be a pop psychologist. I am a pastoral counselor, but I'm not a clinical counselor. But basically, what's going on here with these strongholds is you feel emotions swelling up in you, and you're like, Yeah, I'm feeling that. And sometimes, maybe it's just me, but sometimes that emotion will get me to the point where I'm going to act in a way that could be labelled sinful. Someone put your hand up and just agree with me. Okay, about half of the people. No, all the people. Um, So that's what happens. Emotion swells up, and we don't know what to do with it, and we act, and sometimes we act in ways that are unhelpful for goodness. They're they're, they're ungodly. They're not good for people, for relationships. And that's why (coughs) there's this saying, the problem is seldom the problem. You're in a workplace, you're at school, you're at a family member, and they they rub you up the wrong way. A great thing to remember is, maybe the problem's not the problem. Maybe the problem's not the problem. But what would be the problem? I would suggest to you that wiser people than me, over many, many years, have looked at this and talked to millions of people, and they've said, What tends to happen is that there are emotions that we feel um, quite regularly in life, and they are linked in my heart and mind back to certain events that have happened that I've lived through in my life. And when I go through an event, it's like that event creates a container. The event creates a container. The event might be um, something really good, or it might be something really bad, in fact, evil quite evil. And that container will have information put in it which is either true or false. And it really matters what information is put in that. Because the evil one wants to put lies in that. So something happens in our life. Now we're trying to interpret what it means. And so often, we, it happens to us, maybe at a time we're not clear about what's happening. And we feel ashamed or guilty, broken. There's all, there's all these accusations, there's all these beliefs, there's all these ideas that come flooding into that container. And we need help at that moment to go, get out of there, that's not true, right? Get all the false stuff out. I just want the truth stuff, truth in there. And that's what the grace of God is meant to do. It's meant to come in our lives. And the blood of Christ, the grace of God, the grace of Jesus, floods every container back in our life. And the truth pours through it and it says, you know what? Yeah, you did make that mistake. Fair enough. But it doesn't make you a mistake. Amen? Yeah, you did something that was pretty shameful, but it doesn't make you filled with shame because shame says you are bad, wrong. You are broken forever. That is not the gospel. The gospel says bring your shame under the blood of Christ and let him forgive you and clean you up and say, I've taken that shame on me. Hallelujah. That's, That's the story of the gospel. And yeah, we feel guilt. Guilt's not all bad. But you fill it and you bring it to God and say, yeah, I stuffed up. Can I fill that container with grace? I want grace in that. I want mercy. I want to know what you thought about me in that container. And I promise you, He never stopped loving you. He never stopped thinking, you're worth dying for. You're worth it. You are worth it. I love you. And in Christ, our identity is safe. So we get these strongholds, and um, depending on what we believed back then, the lie that we came up with ourselves, and often that the evil one wants to just throw in that container, we hold that and we go through life, and so someone (laughs) looks like they're trying to dominate and there's this emotional response and it's coming out of pain I had way back, and I'm actually telling the truth, pain I had way back in my life, and I find myself responding when I headbutt that person, proverbially, metaphorically, and I'm constantly, over my life, having to go, that's an inordinate response from me. I don't need to do that. They're probably not an, trying to dominate me. Maybe if they are, the problem's not the problem. Why don't I have grace? And so maturity, has mercy associated with it, right? And perfect mercy comes from perfect knowledge. You get nothing out of tonight's message. That's one to write down in your head. Perfect mercy comes from perfect knowledge. Who has perfect mercy? God. How? Because he knows every one of us. He knows the story. He knows your side. When you go, it wasn't fair, he goes, I get it, I get it. That's why I'm merciful to you. Perfect mercy comes with perfect knowledge. So with these strongholds, um, I just want to encourage you, there's no sort of quick fix, but there can be important stages along the journey, I think, where we say, God, I don't don't want to have that as a stronghold, so I'm I'm going to name it. I'm going to shed some light on it, and I'm going to get some help about that. I'm not going to let it keep growing mushrooms in the dark. I'm going to put some light on it in a safe place. And I'm going to get some healing. And I'm going to dismantle that stronghold. It's been there for ages, but I'm going to dismantle it. Um, Romans 12, we go there every week. Um, It's so important where Paul writes, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. But I think the important thing tonight is to realise that's not just stacking more information in. It's taking truth and putting it back into our past, into our memory, into those containers. Renew my whole memory. Amen? Now that's exciting, because that sets you up for the future to find freedom. I don't have to react the same way. Because I've I've understood truth there. Paul speaks about this earlier. I'm just going to finish with this um, in the letter. We never touched on this really in the sermon series, but it's an amazing couple of verses, I think. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 18. Paul writes, But as surely as God is faithful... Our message to you is not yes and no. Because they were hassling him out about being fickle and saying he'd come to Corinth from Macedonia or, and then no. And He said, OK, you can sort of hassle me out, but I'm telling you, Jesus isn't that. Our message is not yes and no for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, They are yes in Christ. And so through him, through Christ, the Amen, is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. There's a seal of ownership on you by faith. So Jesus is looking at us and he's like, by faith, he goes, hey, you're one of mine. You belong to me, no matter what, you're with me. I sealed you with my spirit. And that's why um, I think it can be really powerful to be anointed with oil every now and then. Because oil is this uh, uh, powerful um, symbol in scripture of the devoted things. So when you're cleaning a house and you go to a new house, you put oil on the doors sometimes because you're saying, we're devoting this room that way, not that way. And so this, me, every now and then, I want to be anointed with oil. It not just says in James 5, if you are sick any of sick among you, um, <clears throat> confess your sins to one another, bring the elders among you and, and anoint the sick with oil and I'll bring healing. So Richard and I... And elders, and some of you I'm sure have done it, we anoint people with oil every now and then. I wanted to do it this morning, we didn't get the oil, and people get freaked out by it. I thought this morning we'd have enough freaking out things. But um, I want to pray now, um, and just ask the Lord to um, begin a work of uh, dismantling strongholds in, in our lives, in me, in this church, and um, he wants, to, he, he wants to say yes. Jesus wants to say yes to fruitfulness. He wants to say yes to a people who want to be able to say, I love my church. Yeah. I'm proud. I'm proud of us. Um, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So let's bow our heads, and um, because I don't need to see it, I'm not going to ask you to show anything to me. But just say to the Lord, if if there's something that comes to your mind, particularly right now container that says, wow, that's that's something I need to find breakthrough. I think God sometimes brings radical transformation straight away. But I think more often than not, he he takes us on a journey. And it, it can involve pain, for sure. Sometimes we have to own up to our mistakes, make things right. Cut off things, take off certain things that are unhelpful, put on clothing that is righteous. If there's containers with truth and lies in them, why don't you just bring that before the Lord now and I'll pray for you. Lord Jesus, we give you all the glory and honour right now here in Hornsby South Public School in the top of Sydney. Your Lord, your Lord of this area, your Lord of this world, you're Lord of the cosmos, you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You reign at the right hand of the Father and every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. At the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And Lord, we wanna pray that, uh, Lord, you would guide us as a church into freedom. The freedom of unity. The freedom of unity in diversity. The freedom of unity where it shouldn't be there, but you give it because of our love for one another and our love of the truth. Lord Jesus, we give you all the glory that your blood was enough and your blood goes all the way back in time to save Moses and Abraham who believed by faith. And your blood goes all the way back in time in our lives and covers all of our junk. And every container filled with lies, I thank you, Lord, that you can shine the light and bring the cleansing of your blood through every container, every historical, painful, and, and successful event that has shaped us and created strongholds that are unhelpful. We pray, Lord, for identification. Lord, I give you all the glory that you rose from the dead, Lord Jesus. And we speak that out into this space here in the spiritual realm. That every person here who has faith in Christ is sealed in the Holy Spirit and belongs to Jesus. Their identity is safe and their history is covered by the blood of Christ and so is their future. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the authority you've given us. And Lord we speak against the spirit of condemnation. We want to speak against us in our, in our memories, because your word says, there is no condemnation for us for those who are in Christ Jesus. And where there is an accusation that we are forever to be enslaved, to a certain habit, to a certain stronghold, Lord we speak out our belief, that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the truth said that if you set us free, we'll be free indeed. And if you believe that, say amen. So, Lord God, we are praying for the freedom to begin a journey towards greater freedom. Amen.